listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Ah, it's winter. This is not winter music. It's more like island music. Cork and Carrie and Kona Brewing want to send you to Hawaii. Yeah, you. And it's real easy to enter right now. Get to Cork and Carry at the park or Cork and Carry Beverly and simply register for the drawing on March 15th and enjoy a $5 draft of Kona. No purchase necessary. You got to be 21 and over to participate. 33rd in Princeton is the place to be with Cork and Carry at the park. And never forget the original Cork and Carry in Beverly at 10614 Southwestern Avenue. See more at corkandcarry.com. You're listening to Socks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Socks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SocksInTheBasement.com. I put a poll out on Twitter uh, just to kind of just gauge fan reaction. Elon let you do that? Aw. Sitting around, I was bored, and I was like, you know what, let's just run a little thread here and see what the fans think about folks in the White Sox organization. Now, you know, this is unscientific. It's only on one social media device. But it's pretty telling. I did what the White Sox do, right? You know how they they send out those those polls and they're like, what do you think of this person? They don't actually say, do you think this guy's a good baseball player? No, it's like, do you connect with him, right? And that's been one of the biggest problems with this team. They they care more about whether or not I connect with the player than whether whether or not the player is a good baseball player. Do do you feel like this is somebody that you have a deep emotional connection to? Right. Do you feel like when you look into Zach Remillard's eyes that you really feel the chemistry that we would expect between fan and baseball player. No, when I look into his eyes, I see a guy who's hitting 313 with a 764 OPS who does the little things right. You should be playing second base every day. I don't care about anything else that has to do with Zach Remillard. Yeah, I, I couldn't even tell you what color Zach Remillard's eyes no, are. No, I don't want to look into his eyes. I just want him to play baseball. Yeah, I do not want to know how his breath smells. I want I want him to play a good <laughs> second base. So here's the thing. I, I, I just put it out here. We'll start with Jerry Reinsdorf. As the second half begins, what do you have to say about these White Sox people? Jerry Reinsdorf, good owner or sell the team? 95.2% of respondents said sell the team. The rest were people that work in the White Sox front office and Jerry Reinsdorf bots, I believe. Uh, Kenny Williams. (laughs) That makes sense. Kenny Williams, 94.4% of White Sox fans say fire him. Okay. Rick Hahn, this was great. 1% said retain him. 43.2% 43.2% said fire him, and 55.4% said fire him into the sun. So, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I think we know where our anger is directed now. Chris Getz, uh, 16% of you believe that the minor leagues were fine. The other 83.7% wanted to fire him. Uh, Pedro Grafal, uh 17.1% thought he was doing fine. 82.9% say fire him. Uh, 70% of you want to get rid of Tim Anderson and trade him right now. The rest of you think he's going to turn it around. So seven out of 10 White Sox fans in this poll say he's done. The Lucas Giolito thing was interesting. Basically split down the middle. 56% of fans say trade him. 43% of fans say resign him. And I actually think it's ridiculous that it's not a landslide that you need to resign him. It makes no sense to trade Lucas Giolito 
in my mind. In fact, I'm giving him the staff of Cork and Carey. I'm not even consulting you on this one. A 1.139 whip to this point, a 3.45 ERA and the best pitcher on the staff. And it made no sense that he wasn't starting right out of the gate in the second half. If you're really trying to win, you have your best pitcher lead off the second half right away on day one. The staff of Cork and Carey, actually a magical, mythical staff. Cork and Carey is not mythical, located in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton. Extensive bar with a rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits and wines, your place for pregame and postgame and even in-game. The official home of the podcast for fans, by fans, socks in the basement. Learn more at CorkandCarey.com. Lance Lynn, everybody wants him gone. of you are keeping him and picking up the option. The rest are trading. Dylan Cease, again, this goes back to James Fox talking to us on our last episode. 53.4% of fans say deal him now at his highest value, while 46.6% say hold on to him. So that is a split amongst White Sox fans. Jake Berger is favored 2-1 over Yuan Moncada as the everyday third baseman if both were healthy. And when it comes to who's playing second base the rest of the season, first place with about 50% of the vote is Lenin Sosa. Zach Remillard comes in with about 40% of the vote. Daryl Boston got 8%. And Elvis Andrus Andrus got less than 1%, and yet he's still on the team. (laughs) Elvis Andrus is behind Daryl Boston. I just put Daryl Boston in as a joke, and Daryl Boston (laughs) destroyed Elvis Andrus as the second baseman. 60% of you. Mercy. 60% of you want Carlos Perez starting every day for the rest of the year because you understand that we need to play some of these younger guys because Yasmani Grandal is not going to be back, and Sebi Zavala is not the answer at catcher. And then let's dive into our first topic of the day today, and that comes off the last question that I put out there. Of these players, which would you least like to see traded away? I put Andrew Vaughn, Jake Berger, and Aloy Jimenez on there. Aloy Jimenez, with 62% of the vote, was the person that people wanted to least see traded away. Don't trade Aloy Jimenez. And what I would say is, you are not evaluating Aloy Jimenez properly. Because Aloy Jimenez is out for a third of the season, on average. Aloy Jimenez is basically a just above average OPS hitting 260-something. A guy that will probably hit 25 home runs if he can stay healthy that sure has the potential to be a big-time hitter in your lineup, but he's not in there at a healthy state where he contributes to your team enough over 162. And so I think you need to look at Aloy Jimenez as not a bad player, not a real detriment to your team, but definitely not a linchpin moving forward if you look at the last couple of years and his availability. Yeah, you're you're got to treat Aloy Jimenez the way you would kind of actually treat a catcher, okay? So most catchers aren't going to play 162 games. Most of them are not even going to play like 150, which is probably around where most players are, are would sit, right? You get about 10, 10 to 15 games off if you're really an everyday guy somewhere in there. That's that's pretty reasonable over the course of a season. Catchers will catch about 120 games. And a guy like Yasmani Grandal, when he did play a lot more games for the Brewers before the White Sox signed him, he was a DH, he was a first baseman, he was in there every day, and he hasn't ever quite recovered because the knees have been kind of creaky and the back's been sort of eh and, you know, whatever. But most guys that are squatting, 
you, you figure you got him for about 75% of the season in the lineup, okay? That's why backup catchers are so such an important thing and why you sit there and you, you look at somebody like Sebi Zavala and you go, he he's actually kind of an important guy when we're walking into the 2023 White Sox because if Sebi performs, that takes the pressure off of Yaz and also, you know, basically you don't have to catch the old guy every day. Aloy is that, but as a DH, yeah. So that's problematic. <laughs> right. It's like you need a it's like you need a backup designated hitter. And that's kind of a weird thing. To it's need. a little problematic. Yeah. yeah that's kind it, of an issue. Well, and, and he played 122 games in 2019, but he didn't come up right away. Uh twenty twenty, obviously, shortened season, fifty-five games. That's the most by percentage of games available for him to play that he played. Played fifty-five games in twenty-one. Only played 84 games last year, so it's around half the season. And he's played 62 to this point, but, of course, we're pretty much halfway through the season. So, again, he's missed a bunch of time, and he's going to miss more time. So how much, yeah, how much do you value Aloy Jimenez, and how much do you think he's the guy that hit, for example, 295 with an 858 OPS last year versus the guy that hit, say, 267 in 2019 and is hitting 267 now? So we, we start, I think, to get into a little bit of – and I don't want to compare the two because I think Aloy is heads and tails a way better player than Yohan Moncada, especially at the plate. Yes. But but I think when you when you start looking at Moncada, right, and you have that 2018 season, the one that everybody points to, and it's like, ah, but that was the year, right? So if you're looking at Aloy Jimenez and, for example, sitting there going, last year, he, he had almost 300 last year with 16 homers in half a season. I mean, that would have been, you know, that would two, 295 with 32 home runs if he had played the whole year. Well, maybe, you know, we don't know that. He hit 31 in 2019 in that in that 122 games. His power numbers have dropped a little bit. You really are kind of a value. You got to evaluate him against other DHs. How does Aloy Jimenez stack up against, I don't want to say Shohei Atani because eh, nobody, but how does he stack up against a healthy Bryce Harper, for example? Which one of those guys would I t- you take? I take Bryce Harper. But then again, Bryce right? Harper's dealt with some injury. But again, Bryce Harper... I'm going to tell you something right now. There's a reason why you wanted Bryce Harper. There's a reason you wanted the White Sox to go get him. If if somebody said right now, would you rather have Bryce Harper or Aloya Menes? I would take Bryce Harper. I know there's White Sox fans right now that are angry that I said that, but I, I w- that's who I would take. Well, and if you're comparing him, okay, similar batters through age 25, you know, when you, when you do that thing on baseball reference, his biggest comparison is Wally Post. I don't know anything about Wally Post necessarily. Richie Saxon, if you remember Big Sexy, he was – Pretty good for a little while there in his prime, kind of fell off a lot. Tim Salmon, again, good player, not great player, good player. David Justice, good player, not a great player. Albert Bell, really good for a little bit, lost his bind, probably would have been better. So he's got <laughs> he's got some good comparisons. Right, but none of those names are names of players that if, so, if my team traded that player because they felt they needed to get better someplace else, that I'd be gnashing my teeth and pulling my hair out. And, th- and that's the thing. You give those names, and every one of those names are players that, yeah, they were they were contributors. They were good players. They had their good seasons and their bad seasons. But they're not somebody who I'm just like, oh, I can't believe we moved on from that guy. You know, here's the thing. If you had a competent front office, if they actually did what they were supposed to do and fired Rakan and fired Kenny Williams and 
fired Chris Getz into the sun and got rid of all of these people and cleaned house and brought in competent people to run your baseball operations and your moves. And they made a move. I would sit there and say, maybe this betters my team. I think that's how I would see things. The other thing I don't understand, and another reason why you need to clean house, because they don't run their baseball team better than most people run their fantasy baseball team. Aloya Menes is injured right now. And, and, and Pedro's afterwards like, well, he's probably out four, five, maybe six games. We'll see. We'll see after this series, and then we'll take a look after this one, and we'll see how he's doing. Do they understand that there's an injured list they could put him on right now and get some more help on your on your roster? Like, I know you can retroactively put somebody on the injured list, but if you know he's going to be out for a week, why would you play a man short for a week? And they do this all the time. It, it's like the dumbest practice in baseball. You have teams that use the IL to be able to rotate pitchers around and bring guys up all the time and have fresh arms in the bullpen, a fresh guy coming off the off the bench for a couple of days. And the White Sox, they keep all their injured guys on the roster and they don't put them on the IL. It's, the, it's one of the most maddening things that this team does in a list of maddening things. And, and again, you're doing it for a guy who is an above average hitter right now who you expect not to play in every game. Aloy Jimenez may need some medical equipment for his latest injury. You never know if you've just had a surgery or pulled a muscle or your back's out or whatever it is. Uh, you can go to Hyatt Home Medical Equipment and pick that up. Keep mom and dad, grandma and grandpa out of assisted living. Help them switch to a new age of life. Make it so they can get around on their own and live independently. Stair lifts, ramps, grab bars, lift chairs, even bathroom remodeling. Uh, Hyatt's going to work with your insurance. They have 0% financing for qualified individuals. And if you mention socks in the basement, you get additional money off. If you use a CPAP machine and you're unhappy with your vendor, Hyatt Home Medical Equipment will help you switch and they will get you your supplies directly mailed to you. And you can test it all out before you buy at their showroom. They also have the latest in continuous glucose monitors. Learn all about what they do at HHME.com, but stop in and see them today, 3518 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park. Tim Anderson is still batting in the two spot after staying in the in the leadoff spot for way too long. The White Sox press corps asked Pedro about this. His response was, quote, I trust him. I believe he's going to turn this thing around and be the player he's always been. Why shouldn't he be? That sounds very Tony LaRussa. He works his ass off. He's always there early. Took 45 to 50 minutes of batting practice. He's always hit and he's going to hit again. This is the most flawed logic in the building right now. If you're keeping him up there because you think you're going to move him, that's stupid because you're exposing how bad he's playing right now. Get him down lower in the order. Let him figure his stuff out. And if he has a couple of good weeks, you can actually move him. If you're not looking to move him, get him down in the order and let him work things out so you can actually get him back together. And it makes it easier for you to figure out if you're picking up his option when the year is over. Continuing to take this square peg and put it in a round hole. This is not working. He's a mess, clearly, and he's not performing, and you're hurting your team. You keep trying to tell me out of the right side of your face, you keep trying to tell me how you're you're trying to win and the season isn't over yet, and then out of the left side of your face, you're telling me that just because Timmy Anderson used to hit really well in that position, we're going to sacrifice wins for losses by putting one of the worst hitters in Major League Baseball amongst qualified hitters this season in the two spot of your lineup. 
and cause problems for your team offensively where a pitcher gets to go through the bottom part of your order, they face Benintendi, and they know they can pitch around him because you're going to get to Anderson who swings at everything and is an easy out right now. And teams are taking advantage of it, and you continue to let him do it. Why? Because he's earned it? Like he's the only guy who takes 45 minutes of batting practice? You know, that is not an impressive thing, folks. There's lots of guys who show up and do 45 minutes of batting practice. There's lots of guys in their career who have done it well. This goes back to that stupid argument. Remember years ago, 10 years ago or whatever, when Adam Dunn was a terrible signing and he came in there and he was hitting like a buck 12. And they're like, well, it's all going to even out someday. All you fans who think that he's a bad hitter, watch the second half. It'll all even out. The baseball card always evens out. It never evened out. Sometimes a guy just has a really bad year. Sometimes a guy loses it a little bit and continuing to put him in the two spot instead of giving him a break and letting him work it out lower down in the order where there's less pressure is basically baseball malfeasance. And, and again, it continues to point to me that either this is one of the worst managers in the history of White Sox baseball or he is so hamstrung by his front office that he's just a front. He's the, he's the, the floating head in the wizard's chamber and Rick Hahn is the man behind the curtain you're not supposed to pay any attention to. It's one or the other. Well, and there's a lot of stuff that when you look at Tim statistically, I mean, it's apparent he's really struggling with right-handed pitching this year. And and I mean, in a in a really, really dramatic way, he's hitting 193 against righties and 324 against lefties. So all of a sudden he's he's kind of a platoon guy, right? He, you know, th- which is unlike him. And it, admittedly, the, some of the stuff is unlike him. But more to the point, he's just not lifting the ball up, okay? His hard-to-hit percentage is a little bit down. It's at 39.9%. Last couple of years, it's been in the four, low 40s. His line drive rate's a little down. Eh, it's it's not too bad compared to where it's been. He's fluctuated between 23 and 27%. It's at 23%. But his ground ball rate is 65%. He's not putting the ball in the air, Okay. Fly balls are down to 10%. So Tim Anderson's not getting any loft. He's getting the exit velocity. He's still walking the same. He's still striking out at the same low clip. He's not pulling the ball. Everything is going up the middle or the other way, which is also probably okay. But it makes him a very, very one-trick pony. You know he's going to hit ground balls towards second and first base and up the middle. And that's kind of what Tim Anderson's doing right now. So you can defend him very, very easily. Also, it cuts off the ability for Andrew Benintendi to do anything on the base paths if you know that he's a double play candidate, which is what Tim Anderson is going to turn into at some point here. And the splits against righties and lefties is, is particularly problematic. But look, again, I, I, you know, I have a problem with Pedro saying he's always hit. No, he hasn't always hit. 2017, he only hit 257. 2018, he hit 240. Then he exploded in 2019, 2020. The last couple of years, yeah, the last four years. Saying he's always hit, and then you point out the thing against right-handed pitching. In 2020, even though it was a shortened season, he had a well below average OPS against righties, and he had a 686 in a full season against righties in 2022 last year. In fact, generally, he's low against right-handed pitching. In his best years, he figures it out, but he's always so much better against lefties. He makes hay against lefties. And right now, while he's struggling, that's getting exposed even more. He's always had these little flaws. And the thing is, he's been able to play over them by hitting for a high average. It's the same reason why you put up with his defense, because of the high average. So the idea that like he's a guy who doesn't have any flaws and he's just going to snap out of it, that, that again points to the fact that that isn't true, necessarily. Yeah, and he's been, it's not like he's also a first half, second half guy. Uh, you know, last year, 
He had 309 in the first half, 310 in the second half. His OPS went up in the second half. He had an 858 OPS. He was only at 770 going into the, the halfway point. But he didn't also play a full second half last year, as you recall. So he's he's a guy that, you know, when you get to this point of the season, he's kind of what he is. And, and the idea that he's going to turn it around or that there's a lot of history that suggests that Tim Anderson has a second gear in him, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case because – when you do go back to him hitting, you know, not so well a few years back, right? He went into the first half in 2017, for example, with a 240 batting average. In the second half, he only picked it up a little bit. It was 276, okay? Not a huge and a smaller amount of at-bats and a smaller amount of games. And his OPS only went up a little bit of a tick. I mean, you know, he's he's got a, only a minor amount of history behind him that suggests he's going to turn this around. And if you're talking about him turning around in a couple of weeks to make him a viable trade candidate, that's, that's wishful thinking right there. So if anyone's trading for him, they're trying to trade for the back of the baseball card because the current version of Tim Anderson is just having a bad year. Right. So put him, put him lower and let him start the show a little bit closer to the back of the baseball card. That's what a smart team would do. We just don't have a very smart team. Hey, uh, before we keep going any further, I want to point out to you uh, uh, two things. One, I'm making a trip tomorrow to go see the great Nancy Faust. Yes, you are. I'm very excited about this. Nancy called me a couple of weeks ago. I've been trying to, to get her on socks in the basement, and she was like, I, she wants me to come to her place so she can play the organ for me. I, that, I mean, she was like, would you mind making the drive? And I'm looking at the map and I'm like, well, this is like an hour and a half to two hours. Yes, because I don't I don't care. It's Nancy Fowles asking me if I want to come to her home and watch her play the organ. This is going to be amazing. Like this is like this is like like I'm a little kid. She was wor- she was like, I don't think I'm going to be a very good interview. I'm like, Nancy, I used to stand outside your booth when I was a little kid and watch you play at the old ballpark. Trust me. Whatever you do is going to be great. So she's going to be on the show maybe as early as once I get the thing recorded and we get what we get. Uh, she may be as early as the next episode of Socks in the Basement. The other thing that I'm thinking about doing to celebrate this, this wonderful interview that we're going to have, hopefully here by the end of the week on this show, is maybe Friday you and I head over to Hailstorm Brewing Company because uh, it's been a little bit. You know, I had the back injury. Yeah, yes. You know, we, we haven't gotten over there. They've got Dominatrix on tap. It's like my favorite beer. The Scratch Kitchen is killing it. Uh, opens at 11 a.m., for lunch, Tuesday through Sunday, goes on into the evening. The smoked wings are so good. They've already appeared on Chicago's Best. Uh, I, I love everything on that menu. Uh, they've got the uh, the all the different dips now. That's my favorite thing. Like, they bring out a bunch of different things you can dip into the dips and then all kinds of, of dips. Like, they, they have, like, the small plates if you want to share, and then they've got some pretty good-sized things to eat for lunch and for dinner over there. They're located in Tinley Park at 8060 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue, and they are the official brewery of socks in the basement uh get out there check out the working brewery the big beer hall the beautiful outdoor patio and that incredible tap room that they have at hailstorm brewing company see more at hailstormbrewing.com uh the white Sox sent me an email today telling me oh, that they? yeah that the brand new schedule was out and uh that uh, i should lock in my tickets for 2024 and i thought to myself oh my goodness these things are gonna go like hotcakes <laughs> it's like, like I, we got a guy who tweeted us um, 
today and he, he was like after I made a comment about how how funny it is that I have to make sure I lock them in right now right now in the middle of this terrible season when you don't know what that roster is going to look like next year and who's going to be in charge and you're really hoping it's somebody else is in charge and and what I got was what if they sweep the twins and then in, in the next week they make up four to five games I love the optimism but I'm not I'm not oh, yeah. I'm not putting my neck out there anymore to get my head chopped off until this team gets very, very close to five hundred and they're fifteen games under right now. So I, I like it'd be nice to beat up the twins, but after you beat up the twins, you know what the Guardians do? They go back in the first place and they keep going. I mean I, the, you're not chasing one team, you're chasing many teams, and you're way down. Trust me. This is a we're selling. And and that's what's gonna happen here, and that's why it's so weird what they're doing with their roster, why you have guys on the roster right now that really aren't going to be a part of it uh, next year, and you got to play those young guys. I mean, I would love to see Benintendi and Remillard up towards the top of my order, especially if they're not going to bring up Lenin Sosa and give him every day at second base for a month or two. Well, and even like to your point about not putting Aloy Jimenez on the on the IL for, for a week and, say, giving Adam Hazley another shot at the, the majors or giving Clint Frazier another chance to come up and see if, he, you know, just... DH him or whatever, and and see if you've got something there with some of these guys that would be depth pieces. But yeah, buying season tickets on the speculation that somehow this trade deadline is going to turn next year's team into a championship contender or a, a you know a division contender, or sitting there saying that you know yeah we can we can knock the Twins back out of the race and then you still have the Guardians there and and they're not going anywhere. I mean yeah I know Shane Bieber just got hurt, but it's not like he was. You know, absolutely dominating the Cy Young talk or anything like that. He was, you know, they've been making do all year long with with patchwork pitching. And and frankly, I don't know that I don't know that you can sweep the Twins. The Twins are actually getting kind of healthy here, and I just don't want to spend any money on this team right now. Is part of the problem. Like I don't mind going to a game here or there, but I don't want to lay out cash for the whole season. No. My new way of uh, going to White Sox games at this point, besides the partial season ticket plan that we have, but if there's something that I want to go see in the future and we don't have a ticket for it, uh, I'm buying it in the secondary market so I don't give Jerry any more money than he's already had. And uh, the good seats are available because I think that that announced attendance is nowhere near the amount of people that actually show up right now. And that's 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 how I'm viewing White Sox games until they, they show me that I should view them in, in a different way. When we talk about... Next year, though, and the schedule, I thought there's only one person who could break down the White Sox schedule that's already out for 2024 in the middle of this 2023 season, which is incredible to me, and that is the Sox Nerd. The White Sox 2024 schedule was released recently, and I found some interesting nuggets on that calendar. For instance, the Sox have a scheduled Sunday off, and I find that shocking. On Sunday, August 11th, the Sox are slated to be idle between a home series with the Cubs, a two-gamer, and the Yankees, a three-gamer. I can never remember the Sox being scheduled off on a Sunday. This storyline is still an excavation in progress for me. The only way I can see this happening is if there was an NFL conflict in one of those multi-purpose stadiums like Oakland or Minnesota in the 1970s or 80s. The White Sox opened 2024 against Detroit on March 28th at Guaranteed Rate Field. That's in Chicago in March. And while that may sound like a forecast of cold wind and snow, my pal weather nerd says otherwise. 
the average high on the state is 53 degrees, and there has only been precipitation on the state four times since 2008. If played, the March 28th opener will be the Sox's earliest at home and tied for their earliest ever. The previous earliest home opener came in 2014 on March 31st. The 2020 opener was scheduled for March 26th against Kansas City at Guaranteed Rate Field, but it fell victim to the pandemic. The Sox's other March 28th opener came in 2019 in Kansas City. The White Sox will open against Detroit for the 21st time. The only teams the Sox have opened against more often are Cleveland at 29 and St. Louis slash Baltimore at 27. The April 1st game against Atlanta will be the earliest interleague game in White Sox history. The previous earliest was the 2023 home opener against San Francisco on April 3rd. The White Sox will serve as the opponent in the Guardians home opener on April 8th. Depending on the start time, that game could feature, get this, Chris, a four-minute total solar eclipse, or as we have gotten used to in Cleveland in April, a 20-inch snowfall. Between May 30th and June 23rd, a span of 25 days, the White Sox play a meager seven home games. Engulfing that run is an absolutely brutal stretch between May 17th and June 28th, where the Sox play the Yankees, Jays, Orioles, Brewers, Cubs, Red Sox, Mariners, Diamondbacks, and Astros. Can you say make or break? The Sox will play at Cleveland on July 4th. This will mark the 124th time, exactly half the birthday the good old USA will celebrate that day, the Sox are scheduled to play on Independence Day. The Sox have never had a July 4th game lost to the weather. The only time they didn't play on the 4th was in 1981 because of the strike and in 2022 due to the pandemic. The Sox also play on the holidays of Easter, March 31st, against Detroit, Memorial Day, May 27th versus Toronto, and Labor Day, September 2nd at Baltimore. My zinger. Looking at this year's schedule, I see some games with the Cubs coming up. One win over the Northsiders this season will guarantee that the White Sox will keep the lead in that all-important bragging rights series through 2024. That's it, Chris. Probably more than you ever wanted to know about the schedule for the 2024 World Series champion Chicago White Sox. Wow, I love the positivity, although the two things I took (laughs) out of that was that, one, they cannot start slow because they have a very difficult run early on in the year where they're on the road, and two, uh, they may play during a solar eclipse. That's crazy. There you go. Or a 20-inch snowfall in Cleveland. You never know. (laughs) I mean, a solar eclipse is a good omen, right? For something? I don't know. What, wasn't in Game of Thrones that like a, a harbinger of doom? I'm not sure if that's a good thing or okay, a bad yeah, thing. I'm sure historically it's been a harbinger of doom because the sun. Game of Thrones is not historical. Uh, that, that, it's not. I, there were no I, dragons. I know, but it. I mean, just saying, I'm sure in in the eras that that is attempting to emulate, I'm sure they looked up at the sun disappearing from the sky and the sky turning red. And, you know, and sure, they, they yeah. thought harbinger you, you, of doom. You go ahead and keep covering it, but I said Game of Thrones and you thought it was historical. That's that's what I'm taking from the entire show at this point. I said Game of Thrones. I, I thought I saw it on a documentary channel. What, what can I say? You said historical. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.